good part. Don't leave the movie early because we're going somewhere. So Luke 10, in verse 25, we're going to be continuing our series about love. And we've been talking about love like Jesus, love like Jesus. In Luke 10, in verse 25, we're going to read this parable, and it's a very familiar parable. It is the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, in verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, notice the man said, or he said to him, You have answered right. Do this and you will live. That's Jesus. In verse 29, the man said, wanting to justify himself, he said, But Jesus, who is my neighbor? In verse 30, Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothes and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by the other side. Verse 33, But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, when he saw him, notice he had compassion on him, or we could say love. In verse 34, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on the oil and the wine, set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and said, take care of him. And on that next day, when he departed, he gave him two denarii. He gave the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Verse 36, so which of these... Three, do you think, was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? Verse 37, and he said to him who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Can I get amen this morning? So today we want to talk about the third part of this series about love like Jesus. And today we want to talk about, are you my neighbor? Are you my neighbor? Now we've been talking about the love of God. We've been talking about God's love towards us, which is perfect, which is unconditional, which is unearned, which is forever. God's love will never change for us. And we've been talking about the love of God. In the first week, we talked about God loves me because that's the foundation for any other love in your life. If you don't know that God loves you, you will not love anybody else the way you should. And so we realized that God loves me. But last week, we talked about your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ your love for the family of God. Because we need to realize if the family can't get along, then nobody outside the family wants to be a part of it. If the family can't love each other, then the world is saying, what is your point? Why would I want to be a part of this? You guys don't even like each other. You're not even nice to each other. You're not even loving towards one another. And so last week we talked about loving one another. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. That's the main thing he said. They will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Not if you go to church, not if you have a Bible, not if you have a Christian bumper sticker. Your love for one another will let people know they follow God. And so the church should be known for their love for one another. But we're going to take it a step further because we need to love one another, but what should we do when it comes to people that are outside of the church, outside of the family of God, outside of the four walls of the house of God. What should we do 
about the world. And there's a reason we talked about the family first, because we got to get the family right before we go to the world. A lot of people say we want to love the world, but we don't want to love our family because we don't know the world. (laughs) Hello, somebody. The world has not done anything wrong to us. But the people that are closest to us have done things wrong to us. So a lot of times people say, well, I want to love the world, but I just don't want to love. No, it doesn't work like that. we got to get the love right between the family of God. And Jesus said that if we love God, we'll love others also. That You can't separate the two. But we want to talk specifically about the love for the world, the love for people that don't know God. Now, you realize that John 3.16, which is the most familiar verse in all the world, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God so loved the world. Now, God loves the world. He doesn't just love Christians. Just to straighten that up. God loves all seven point something billion people on the planet, whether they know him or not, God loves them. And God says he loves the world, not just the church. Now, he loves the church, but he doesn't just love the church. He loves the world. So if God loves the world, then his church should love the world the same way. If God thinks that people are important, hello, somebody, then the church should think people are important. If God thinks that there is nobody on the planet that is worthless, if God thinks that there's nobody on the planet that's without without hope, then the church should believe that. That there's no such thing as a worthless human being. There's no such thing as an accident that's living on the planet. No, God knew that everybody would be here at this point in time in history, and he said he loved them. No matter what they do, no matter how they act, no matter what lifestyle they're in, no matter, no matter what kind of religion they say they believe in, God loves them and the church should love them. And we should love them, notice, not with human love because it won't work. We should love them with the love that God has given us. And that's what we've been talking about the past several weeks. Because God has given all of us the same kind of love that he has. And it's called agape. Agape is the God kind of love. It's unconditional. It's unearned. It's a love that expects nothing in return, which is different from human love. And that's why it's even possible that we can love people who are not lovely. That's why it's even possible that we can do what the Bible says when it says love your enemies. We can do that. That's not just happy thinking. That's not just Jesus throwing out random ideas. No, Jesus meant what he said, and he said if you could love your enemies, you can do it. Why? Because you have the love of God in you. So we can do that. Now, this is what some people have taken this out of context because I know it says in the New Testament, in a certain place it says to not love the world. Now, what do we do with verses like that when God so loves the world, but it says don't love the world? Well, you need to rightly divide the word of God. Because you got to understand, one scripture is talking about people, and the other scripture is talking about this world system. It's different. The thing is, we love people, but we don't love the system. And we need to realize what we should love and what we shouldn't love. Because 
When Jesus says to love the world, he's talking about human beings not loving this world's economy, not loving this world's government, not loving this world's way of doing things, not, not valuing what the world values, not loving what the world loves. It's talking about people, not the system. So we need to rightly divide this before we have that scripture come in our head today and say, well, God says don't love the world. He's talking about the system, not the people in it. Because God, he doesn't love the system of the world because it's destroying people. Their way of thinking, their way of doing life on this planet is destroying people. But he's concerned about people. In the same way that his church should be concerned about the people, not the system. So we love people, but we don't love the system. And the thing is, if we want to change our world, we can't focus on the system. we got to focus on people. That's why I think politics, say what you want about it, is politics. I don't care who you vote for and who you get in office. The world will still be jacked up if people don't change. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter if Billy Graham himself was in office as the president. If people don't change, guess what? The world will never change. That's why we can't be focusing on changing the government, changing the system. we got to change people because people is how the world changes. So what do we love here? Do we love the system or do we love people? Where are we putting our focus in? Just trying to change society and change the rules and change the government and change the laws? It doesn't matter what you change. If you don't change people, they'll do whatever they want to do. Am I hitting a little too close to home on a political year like this year? So we got to love people and be interested in people changing, not the system changing. Because that's a fight, guess what? You'll never win. Till Jesus comes back, you will never change the world system. Never. But what you can change is people that can change the world. That's why we got to love people. we got to focus on people instead of fighting dumb battles about what's right and what's wrong in our government. Are you here this morning? I mentioned politics twice so far this year, and I don't care about politics. What is happening to me? I'm watching too much CNN or something. What is going on? It's still true, though. Because we got to love people and we got to change people because we can't ch- keep trying to change the system. It's not going to change. The world is the world. It's got to be that way. But we need to change people because then people can change the world. So we love people. We focus on people. That is what we love because God so loved the world. So let's read in Luke 10 what Jesus tells this story to this teacher of the law. Now, this is one of the most famous passages that Jesus spoke about, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's funny because even non-Christian people like the story of the Good Samaritan. There's not one person on the planet that doesn't like this story. Because it's loving and it's kind and it's the way people should actually be in real life. So there's not anybody who doesn't like the story of the Good Samaritan. But realize, a lot of times when Jesus told parables in the Bible, 
It's because he doesn't want to just give you the answer. Now, Jesus, he is God, so he could just give you the answer, and you could go on your way. But the reason Jesus tells stories is because he wants the people around him to think for themselves and to come to the same conclusion that he came to. So that's why a lot of times Jesus doesn't just blurt out the answer. He tells stories so people will get revelation themselves and start thinking about what he's saying, and he does that through stories, which are called parables. So the Good Samaritan, this teacher of the law, so this is somebody who is super educated in the Old Testament, a very religious person. Now, most people that were teachers of the law, they memorized the first five books of the Bible. Okay, we're not talking about the book of Jude. We're not talking about the book of James. We're talking about Leviticus. You memorize Leviticus for fun. Something's the matter with you. Deuteronomy, Numbers. These are not small books of the Bible. And they memorized them because they were teachers of the law. And they thought because they did certain things like memorize the Bible that it would give them a better place with God. It would give them favor with God because they worked to learn the law, which was impressive because they would memorize the books of the Bible. So the teacher of the law says to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Which is the same question that people are still asking today. And since he's talking to somebody who has a law mindset, he talks to him in context of the law. And so he says, what does it say in the law? Because he would know it. He knows all five books. And the man said to Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now that could have been the end of the story. But notice the man realizing it's not that easy to love your neighbor had to throw in another question. Now, we, we mentioned this last week. Are you guys still here this morning? Okay, just checking. We mentioned this last week, but we realized when you say love God, that's easy. Because God loves us perfectly. He never did anything wrong. So it's easy for us to love God. It's people that can be the issue. Because they're not perfect. And their love isn't unconditional, and they're not always nice, and they're not always friendly, and they're not always doing the right things because they're not God. And when we look to people like they should be God, we're always going to be upset. We're always going to be irritated at people because their love is not the same as God's love. And so that's why he specifically pointed out the second part of the commandment. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay. God is amazing, he's wonderful, he loves me perfectly. That sounds like a pretty awesome deal. But love your neighbor as yourself, hmm, a little bit different, isn't it? Not as easy. And since this man knew the law, notice what he says next. Jesus says, do this and you will live. And since he realized I'm not doing that, he had to throw in another question, like all of us in here. Verse 29, but he says, but he wanted to justify himself, said to Jesus, but, but who is my neighbor, though? Notice what he said. Who is my neighbor? Trying to get out of what Jesus just said. Doesn't this sound like us in 2016? Sometimes we go hard on people in the Bible. But we do the same thing in 2016. We read a scripture, but we say, yeah, but God, you don't understand. I can't really do that exactly. 
I can't really live that way, God. You don't realize I can't really do those things. Do we not say that in 2016? And notice he asked this question to Jesus to justify himself. It even calls him out in the Bible. I love that. To justify himself, he's asked this question. But who is my neighbor? So this is what he did. It's called a diversion. Since this man didn't really want to love his neighbor, he's trying to throw a diversion in here for Jesus and says, yeah, but, but who is my neighbor, though? Who is my neighbor, really? It's kind of like you've ever seen in those movies when somebody's talking to one another and they're trying to get away from the situation. They're like, hey, look over there. <laughs> oh, my gosh, did you hear that? That explosion. And then they just run away. That's what this guy's doing. He's throwing in a diversion. Yeah, Jesus, but, but who's my neighbor, though? My neighbor, who, who would that be? So Jesus says, okay, since he is God, he knows what's going on here. This guy's trying to throw me a diversion. I'm not looking over there. I'm looking right at you. You can't get out of this. And he says, let me tell you a story. Let me explain it to you. Who your neighbor really is. So he talks about, these three men who came in contact with somebody who was down and out, who had been robbed, who had been treated harshly. So the question is not, who is my neighbor? It's, how can I be a neighbor? Should have been the question. But since he didn't want to really love his neighbor, he was trying to get out of it. He threw a diversion there for Jesus, but Jesus didn't take it. Now, before we get into the rest of the story... Now, I know that we live in 2016. I know that the idea of neighbors is completely different than 2,000 years ago. You realize, even up to the past 40 or 50 years, people looked at their neighbors differently than they do now. Now, for the past 2,000-some years, people lived in a community, and everybody knew everybody in their community. There was no cell phones. There was no Facebook. There was no social media. There was, you knew the people who lived around you. That's it. But you notice something happened in the past 40 or 50 years. Our society started becoming different. With vehicles and airplanes and cell phones and internet, our world keeps moving apart from each other. And it's weird because we're more connected than we've ever been, but we're more distant than we've ever been. So, when I say the word, who is my neighbor, it means something different today than it did even 50 years ago. 50 years ago, if you lived in a community, you knew all your neighbors by name. You would eat together, your children would play together, Everybody would hang out with each other. That was your community. You didn't have a cell phone. You didn't have social media. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have anything to contact anybody else outside your community. So your neighbors were your neighbors, and that was your life. But we can be honest, in 2016, that is not our life. Most of us don't even know the people that live next to us. Am I right today? Most of even of us don't care who lives next to us unless they put their flowers on our side of the fence. Am I right? Am I right? Unless they put their flowers on our side of the fence, then you go talk to them. But other than that, you don't... Yeah, I saw some people hitting each other over there. 
Because we look at neighbors differently today. We don't treat it with the same respect that we did 50, 60 years ago. We don't know our neighbors. So really this passage is going to be even a little bit harder, as you could say, for us today because we live such isolated lives in 2016. And we do it on purpose. We have more technology than we've ever had, but we don't talk to our next door neighbor. We, we go to the grocery store and we go to the movies and we go uh, to our jobs and we don't talk to one another because we can text one another. Now I'm talking to myself, so don't nobody throw anything at me. You'd rather Instagram your friend who lives in China than the person next door. Which you don't know, you really don't know that person, but you feel like you know them because they're a friend on social media. So this idea of who's your neighbor and who's not your neighbor is really different than even when Jesus lived or even 50, 60 years ago, this idea of who is your neighbor because the way our society is. We isolate ourselves from the outside world because it's safer that way. You realize when you don't have to come in contact with human beings unless you want to, you do it for a reason. Because life is easier that way. You don't even have to go to the grocery store. You could do it online and somebody will deliver groceries to your house. If you got Amazon, you can hit, hit a button and they will deliver anything you need to your house. Sometimes within the hour, if it's with a drone. Isn't that crazy to think about? You don't have to leave your house. And you know what? I think technology is amazing, and I think the ability we have is so awesome with our phones and with our computers and everything that God has given us to reach more people and do more things, but it's actually hurt us in a lot of ways. Can we be honest in here? Because we don't even know who our neighbors are anymore. Now, when I say neighbor, I'm not just talking about those who live next door to you. I'm talking about everybody you come in contact with in your daily life. Because I know most of you, you don't stay at your house all the time. You live your life out in the world. You come in contact with people at your job or your school, at the grocery store, at the gym, when you're walking at the restaurant. You live your life outside your house. So it's not just the physical neighbor you have that lives next door to you. It's everybody who comes in contact with, that's who God is saying your neighbor is. Whether they're saved or unsaved. Whether you like them or you don't like them, they're still your neighbor in the eyes of God. Are you guys listening this morning? It's okay if I do a little teaching. And so I realized when I say neighbor this morning... All of us are thinking Mr. Rogers, but we don't live in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood anymore. Let's be honest, it's 2016. God bless Mr. Rogers and his cardigan. God bless that show, but we don't live there anymore. Let's be honest. We don't live 50, 60 years ago where they knew their neighbors in their community. We live isolated lives that don't want anybody to talk to us because it's safer that way. Am I stepping on some toes this morning? My toes are getting stepped on as well, so it's all right. We're in this together. So Jesus responds to him and tells a story because the man says, well, who is my neighbor? That's not the right question. So Jesus says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothes, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So we see here that there was a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that was a very famous um, journey that people would take from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was about 18 miles long from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was very known that there was robbers usually waiting on that journey for people. So you wouldn't want to go from Jerusalem to Jericho alone. You would want people to go with you because a lot of times if you were by yourself, you've got to get robbed probably because it's not a safe place to be. But this man was by himself and notice he got robbed and they stripped him of all his clothes, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So that's how serious this was. They left him half dead, took everything he had, took his clothes, beat him up and left him on the side of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. So there's three people that come in contact with him. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Now, it sounds like a beginning of a joke. I know. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan go into a bar. And they, okay. Jesus could tell jokes, too. He could go in and out of parables, jokes, whatever you want to call it. So a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan went into a bar. Let's just call it that. And these three men came in contact with this man who was down and out. He's beat up. Had no clothes, left for half dead, like the way the world is right now. And he came in contact with these three men. And we see here first, it says, by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So uh, not only did he ignore the man, but he had the nerve to go on the other side of the road and act like he didn't see him when he did kind of like the way we avoid people in our lives. All right. Oh. <laughs> the door's looking better all the time. So the priest, he went by on the other side of the road. He saw the man, but he went on the other side. Now, we're going to get into these three men, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Now, the priest, of course, he's in the ministry. He's supposed to be righteous and holy. He's supposed to be a man who can't get dirty. And you realize in the priesthood of that day, if they touched somebody who was dying or dead, that that means that they were unclean. And they could be disqualified from ministry for touching a person or an animal that was dead or dying. And we see here that the priest, he avoided the man because of his position. The priest avoided the person who was hurting and down because of his position. Because if I deal with that person, then I might not have my same position in people's eyes. If I deal with this person who's struggling with addiction and somebody sees me at a restaurant with them, let me, let me get a little bit closer to home, then what are people at church going to think about me? Who cares what people at church think about you? That's what i got to say. Because he was too concerned about his position. If the priest actually went and helped somebody who needed help, then he could lose his position as a priest. Isn't isn't that kind of what priests are supposed to do? Help people? Isn't that kind of what the church is supposed to do? Help people? And this is one of the reasons, myself included, why we don't get involved in people's lives who need help because we're good dirty. 
and we might lose our position in other people's eyes because, oh, you're hanging out with them? You're fellowshipping with them? Don't you know what they do? Don't you know the way they act? I'm hitting a little bit close to home. I can feel it. Don't you know how they left the church? Don't you know what they're addicted to? Don't you know they, the way they treat other people? Yeah, I do. But the love of God says I love you anyways. Because the love of God has said that's all of us. No matter what situation we were in, He loves us anyways. No matter what addiction, no matter what bondage, no matter what dirtiness that is on our lives. I'm preaching. I don't know if you're saying anything this morning. The love of God says, yeah, I... I I care about what's going on, but not enough for me to stop loving you. Because I realized love is the only thing that's going to change you and help you get out of that pit that you're in. Help you get out of that bondage you're in. Help you get out of that addiction you're in. The only thing that's going to change you is the love of God. And how will people see the love of God? Through His church. We can't say, God, I want you to change this city and change this region. I want you to show him your love. How does he do that? He does it through his church, the hands and feet of Jesus. So when we see people like that in our lives, and a lot of times, most of the time, we're not going to see somebody on the side of the road. We might. But it's people we're in contact with every day, and you know they're messed up, and you know that they're hurting. And you know that life has beat them up and beat them down and left them half dead. And we don't do anything because we care about our position more than people. But the love of God says, you know what, I love you no matter what. Because God has loved me no matter what I've done. And that's the motivation. Notice, anytime any of us in here ever get a religious, cocky attitude, remind yourself about the love of God towards you. When you didn't deserve it, when you didn't earn it, when you didn't deserve to live another day of your life, the love of God came in and gave you another chance and another reason to live. And He healed you and He delivered you when you didn't deserve it. So anybody you say in your life, they don't deserve it, that's not true. Because you didn't. And God helped you anyways. So we should help others anyways. Because that's what the love of God does. And I realize everything I'm saying is countercultural than any kind of love we know in this world. That's why when I say it, it feels so uncomfortable. It feels so convicting because it's completely different than the world's love. Because the world's love says, if you're not giving me back this kind of love, I'm done. But God's love doesn't do that. God's love says, you know what, I don't care about my position. I'm willing to get dirty for the sake of somebody who's hurting. You still here this morning? So the next person was a Levite, which a Levite was a religious person also. He was from the tribe of Levi, which was the tribe who helped in the temple. So he was somebody who was well known to be clean and holy and righteous and important because he was born in the right family. He was born as a Levite, the tribe of Levi. Now this is something that I think a lot of us deal with also, especially me. I would say the second one is more an area I struggle in than the first. 
The Levite didn't help the man because he realized it could be painful. The Levite didn't help the man because he realized if I help this man, he might not help me back. The thing is, the love of God is risky, not cautious. The love of God is all or nothing. The love of God is all in. There's nothing about the love of God that's maybe, I don't know, clean up and then I'll, I'll come a little bit further. Help yourself and I'll come a little bit further. No, the love of God is all in. And the reason the Levite didn't do it because he realized it could be painful if I help somebody who doesn't come back and help me. It could be risky if I love somebody who doesn't love me back, but that's what the love of God does. And we could all raise our hand in here. We know that there's people in our lives, the reason you don't want to fully love them with the love of God is because you feel like, well, what if it turns out wrong? And they don't get right, and they don't love me back, and they don't clean up their life. What if something happens and it goes the opposite direction? That's not our responsibility. And that's not our job. Our only job as believers is to love people, whether it's painful or not. Whether it's risky or not. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of living a safe American Christian life. Aren't we all tired of that? It's kind of boring, isn't it? I thought you'd be responding a little bit louder than this. It's kind of boring, isn't it? It's kind of tiring to live a just a Christian, American, two kids, two dogs, two cats, white picket fence, living in the suburbs, in a safe life, not risking anything for the kingdom of God. I get a little bit tired of that. I don't know about you. Because that's never what God has called us to do. And that's never what God has called us to be. Because God has called us as His church to be out in people's lives getting dirty. Getting in the mess of people in society. Not in our house where it's safe. Not in our own world where it's safe. He's called us to love people that it's going to be risky. And it could be painful. But it's going to be worth it because we did what God called us to do. And that's the most exciting life to live is a life that's helping others and pursuing others even if it is painful. And you know what? There will be people that burn you. Realize God has never stopped loving us just because people burned Him. God said, you know, a couple million people turned their back on me. I can't love you now because I don't trust mankind. But we say that as believers. Well, you know, a couple people turned their back on me. I just don't got the love anymore. Running out. Running dry. You know, if it's your love, it will run dry. If it's your own affection towards people and compassion, it will stop. But the love of God won't. So we need to be like the Samaritan in this story, and we're going to talk about him. Not like the priest who didn't want to give up his position. Not like the Levite who didn't want to experience any pain. Guess what? In life, you're going to experience pain. I'm not prophesying that over you, but you live in a fallen world with fallen people. You will experience pain. Might as well do something with the love of God and risk it. 
and do something worthwhile in life. And so the Levite didn't want to be in pain. He didn't want to have a risky love towards people that wouldn't love him back. In verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Notice compassion is really another word for love. And really compassion is not just love, but it's love in action. It's love that's like, not you're just watching TV and you watch people that are in need and you're like, man, I feel bad for them. Let's put it back on ESPN. All right, back to, the, back to Netflix. I felt bad for those people. All right. Anybody ever experienced that? No, but compassion is not just love, but it's love in action. Then I'm not going to just feel bad for people, but, but the love of God is going to take me off of my couch and take me out of my, my, my life that I've secluded myself, and I'm going to actually do something for people because it's going to be an action, not just, oh, I, I love them, you know, I feel bad. That's how the world changes when people go beyond, yeah, I feel bad for them, to, know what? This is not right, and the love of God needs to do something, and I'm going to take action right now. And notice the Samaritan showed compassion on him when he saw him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in the oil and the wine, something that would heal. And he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Verse 36, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Verse 37, he said, him who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now, Jesus used the Samaritan as the hero in this story. Now, if you lived in... Jewish culture at that time, Samaritans were the scum of society. Samaritans were not looked at favorably. The priests and the Levites were the elite of society. But the Samaritans were the people that they felt like weren't really fully Jewish people. They weren't the elite of society. They weren't really on the people of Israel's team. They were just kind of, yeah, were kind of half in, half out. Not trustworthy people, the Samaritans. That's the way they looked at them in that culture. But Jesus uses a Samaritan on purpose because you know everybody's freaking out when they make the Samaritan the hero of the story. They're thinking, man, the priest and the Levite are going to be the man in the story, but actually they're not. But you know what he was doing? He was giving them the reality of the situation of the way the world was at that time. At that time in history, the priests and the Levite and religious people were the most unloving, unforgiving people around. And Jesus was trying to show them a new way of love. But you know what? It's not any different today. A lot of times, and I mentioned this last week, Christians can be the most judgmental, harsh people on the planet. It shouldn't be that way. Not just towards each other, but towards the world. They can be the most mean-spirited people. How do Christians end up that way? Because somewhere along the line, they left out the love of God and started trying to do their Christian life in their own strength, in their own power, 
and their own ability, and they got frustrated, and they got irritated, and then they tried their own love, not God's love with people, and it didn't work because it doesn't work. And you know what? They came to the point that now they're old, crusty, grumpy Christians. And I'm not just talking age-wise, but spiritually. Just like the priests and Levite and religious people of that day became. They knew the word of God, but they didn't know the spirit of God. That can happen to all of us in here, especially a lot of us have been in this church a long, 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 long time. We know a lot of word, but when you forget about the spirit of God and you just know the letter of the law, it says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And you could be so focused on keeping the rules and keeping your confession and keeping all these things right and forget about the love of God and the spirit of God in your life. And that's how you dry up so quickly as a believer. As when we lose the main thing, which is the love of God. Let's look at Luke 6 in verse 27. You guys still here? Luke 6, 27. You get anything this morning? Luke 6 and uh, verse 27 is red letter. Jesus speaking. It says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Let's jump down to verse 35. But love your enemies, do good, and lend for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For He is kind and unthankful to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. So Jesus says... The love of God even goes beyond natural love, and you can love your enemies. And you can love those who bless or who curse you and bless them. You can pray for those who spitefully use you. This goes beyond just being a nicer person. Now, I've been in the church 28 years and nine months of my life. And a lot of people will get up and preach messages about love, but the the bottom line, what they're trying to say is this. They don't bring in the supernatural, is you just need to be a nicer person. You just need to be kinder to people. What you do, you need to smile at people. And so we have a lot of Christians who are walking around like, Hi, how are you? See, I I can spot a fake Christian. I'm trying to walk in love, but I'm faking it. Smile a mile away. (laughs) love of God, how are you? God bless you, love you. But you know that's a church face. That's a church face. You don't act like that in your real life. You don't treat people like that in your real life. That's just at church. Blessed. (laughs) God bless you, love you. Just use the same face at all times. I'm not saying be grumpy, but come on now. God is not saying, Christians, just be nicer people. 
Just be more friendly and smile to more people. You know what? There's Buddhists that are nicer than Christians. It's not about being nice. It's about the love of God. And notice he goes on and says this. The love of God doesn't just love people who love them back. They love their enemies. That's different than the world. Because even a Buddhist on a bad day will show you something if you're mean to him. And he goes on and says, it's nothing if you love people who love you back. The world does that. It's not a big deal if you love people who love you back. Unbelievers do that all the time. They're nice to people who love them back. What distinguishes us from the world is we can love our enemies with that same kind of love. That we can pray for people that are cursing us. That we can, notice, bless those and pray for those who spitefully use us. Why? Because the love of God, it's supernatural. It's not natural. There should be a difference in us than the world. And it's not just be nicer. It's not just smile more. It's we have a supernatural love on the inside of us that we can love people that hate us. And we can love people that are our enemies. And we can love people that curse us. And we can love people that use us. Why? Because the love of God is supernatural. It's not just being nicer. Are you hearing anything this morning? Because the love of God comes in and gives us this supernatural love. It's not just a natural love. Because when I say that, a lot of us say, I can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that, but the love of God in you can. And it's supernatural. So he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. That's the love of God. And that's the love of God we're talking about with the outside world, the people that are not a part of the family God. That should be us. We should be the Samaritan in the story showing love and compassion to people who are hurting in our lives. We should be, like Jesus said, loving our enemies, doing good to those who hate you, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who spitefully use you. That's how you change people, and that's how you change the world with this kind of love. The love of God. And notice, like I said, it's supernatural. It goes beyond your natural love. Because in your natural love, you're going to fight. You're going to cuss. You're going to cuss. Trust me, all of you are going to cuss. In your natural love, somebody will push you to the point that you're punching a hole through the wall. Not that I've ever done that. Could have. Won't tell you why. Corey knows why. (laughs) The love of God. Goes beyond that. And I love it that God doesn't leave us in our own strength and our own love. He gives us love. This is the last verse. Did you guys get anything today? I get a little passionate when I talk, don't I? You all right with that? We're going to go to Romans 5 and 5. Now let me say something before we read this. In Romans 5 and 5, before we we go there, we're just talking about the love of God. Now, when we're talking about our neighbor and loving our neighbor, all of us in here have certain prejudice. When I say loving your neighbor, I'm talking about everybody. Like everybody. Everybody. Now, when I say prejudice, 
you're thinking white and black. But most of you, it's not that. But all of us in here as believers, we have certain prejudice towards certain types of people. Well, we're not going to say it out loud, but in our heart we do. When I read scriptures about loving your neighbor and loving your enemies, you're thinking, yeah, but what about this person? And they're different for different people. There's certain areas that are kind of the hot button issues. That you're like, yeah, I could love those people, but that person, man, that would be the one. We got to deal with those. We got to talk about those because Jesus said, love your neighbor. It doesn't matter who it is or where it is. He said, love your enemies. Love those who are trying to hurt you. Especially the day and age we live in, neighbor doesn't just mean a Christian that lives next door. Neighbor can mean the Muslim who lives next door. Are you here this morning? Since that's kind of a hot-button issue in society today, Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor unless they're a Muslim. That's, that's your get-out-of-free-jail-free card right there. If they're Muslim, quiet. Yeah. Loving your neighbor means the Muslim next door. That doesn't mean you agree with them, but that does mean the love of God. And it means you're going to show them compassion and mercy and the love of God because your judgment's not going to change anybody. What about this? What about the homosexual that lives next door? We'll shout about it in church, but when it comes to real life, it's different. Hot button church issues. The Muslim next door. The homosexual next door. The addict. Maybe somebody who drinks or smokes around you. or They got tattoos. They got piercings. They're homosexual. They're a Muslim. They're a Buddhist. Or they're an atheist. When I say love your neighbor and you're thinking your Christian neighbor next door, it's kind of easy. But when I start talking about this, this is who Jesus is talking about. That's, that's your neighbor. <laughs> we got to deal with these issues. And you know the only way to deal with them is let the love of God deal with them in our heart. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they say. That doesn't mean that you're actively for what they're involved in. But it does mean you love them with the love of God. Because the love of God will change people. Romans 5 and 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Notice that. The love of God is in every believer in Jesus Christ in this place. The love of God is in there. It might not be, be being used. Maybe it hasn't been used in years, but it's still in there. And so this is a couple things I wrote down as we're closing. Well, how do we love others that are on the outside could be our enemies? How do we love those who are outside? How do we love the world? Well, first of all, since the love of God is in you, we have to yield to the love that's in us. 
You know, it talks about in the Bible, you need to walk in love. That means it's a practice. And how many know when you practice something, that means you're going to get better at it? In every day of our lives, we should be practicing the love of God. A lot of times, Christians are waiting on a feeling when it's not a feeling, it's a choice. If you're waiting to feel like you love somebody, you're never going to love anybody. But the love of God decides, I'm going to choose to walk in love today, no matter who I face, no matter what's going on, no matter who it is or or who talks bad about me. The love of God in me, I'm going to choose. So that means we're going to yield to that love. We're going to practice love. And you know, the more you practice walking in love, the better you're going to get at it. The more you choose to yield to the love of God, the bigger it's going to grow in your heart. But all of us in here have to choose that before we feel that. But the love of God is in you. And notice, the more you practice walking in love with people, the better you're going to get. The more proficient you're going to get. Your love's going to grow. And you're going to be able to walk in love like Jesus did when he said, you can love your enemies. So we need to yield to that love. We need to practice it. We need to walk in it. And the more we choose, notice it's a choice, not a feeling. The more we choose that, the better we'll get at it. And the more that love will grow in our heart. But if we every day choose not to, then we'll wonder, well, where's the love of God? Well, we're not choosing it. Now, one last story. Thinking about the love of God, it says the love of God has been poured out in our heart. The love of God has been poured out in our heart. And Jesus has given us this love. And the thing is, with the kingdom of God, the more you give, the more you receive. This is true with the love of God. The more all of us in here give love, the more God will fill us with his love. So if we're not giving any love away, God is not going to continue to fill us because we're not empty. But the more we give love, the more God will fill us with his love. Now, there's two restaurants I want to talk about before I close. El Nepal and Ruth Chris. Okay. El Nepal. On a hot summer day, filming for summer camp. Pretty sure it was the Jonathan Creek video, to be exact. If you've ever seen that, it's a big hit on YouTube. Watch it. It's awesome. (laughs) Elna Paul, on a hot summer day. Now, we were out in the sun for hours. It was steaming. We were so thirsty and hungry. So, we went to Elna Paul. Ordered our food. Of course, we all got water. We were so desperate. So we ordered our water. We got chips. We're just down in chips, salsa. We need water. We feel like we're dying of thirst. We're just like, hey, hey, can we get some waters with these chips and queso and salsa? Yeah, I got you. I got you. Okay. Chips and queso, man, we're, we're down in that. We're down in salsa, of course. We're already parched, but then we got salsa on top of that. We're just like, <coughs> we're all like, man, we need to run in the restroom. Like, I will drink out of the toilet right now, for goodness sakes. I am so thirsty. 
We're just like, hey, waters, waters. That's all we want, water. Nothing. The guy brings us our food. It's steaming hot. It looks amazing. We're eating our food, and I don't know what happened that day, but he would not bring a water. So we're eating our food, and we're just like, we're all going to die. We're all going to die at this table right here because all we want is some water. We've been asking through the chips and the queso, through the meal. And then, like, at the end of the meal, he finally brings us a cup of waters, and we're just like, what's the point now? He was so stingy with the water. He was so stingy with the beverage. That's not like the love of God. Let me talk a bit to you about Ruth Chris. Some good food. Some grown people food. Now, when you go to Ruth Chris, you can barely sip out of your drink before they'll replace it. To the point it's annoying at times. Because they're so on it at Ruth Chris, as soon as you get a little bit empty at the top, there's somebody coming, hey, can I refill you? Hey, can I, can I give you more? Or sometimes at some of those restaurants, they'll give you a new glass with a whole new beverage. I'm like, I didn't even drink this one. Why are you throwing it away? He's like, are you done with that? No, not exactly. Okay, well, we'll take it. Here's a new one. But they keep pouring and pouring and pouring. Now, there's a reason I said that because the love of God is like a Ruth Chris, not an Elna Paul. God is not stingy with his love towards us. God is not stingy with pouring his love towards us. If we want some more love in our heart, guess what? God will keep pouring and pouring and pouring and refilling and refilling and refilling. And guess what? The more you give love, the more he will fill you with his love. The more you give love, the more he will refill you and refill you. He's a Ruth Chris God, not an El Nepal God. Isn't that the truth? And so we need to realize, hey, if you love somebody tomorrow, you're not going to run out by Tuesday. He'll give you more love on the next day because you're giving it. And the more you give and the more you give, the more he's going to fill you to overflowing because it says the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. And with God, he's a Ruth Chris God. He keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. And guess what? You're never going to run out. You're thinking, well, I got some difficult people to to deal with next week. You're not going to run out. The more you keep giving, the more he's going to pour and the more he's going to fill you. Did you get anything this morning? Let's